Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Alliance Church in Lexington, Kentucky. The sermon you're about to hear, Prayer and Pushback, was preached by guest preacher David Thomas on Matthew chapter 15 verses 21 to 28. It was recorded on January 28, 2024 and is part of our series, When a Church Prays. So it's a joy to be with you. My name is Jessica Freeber, and I'm the coordinator of Congregational Care. This month, we've been leaning into our value of expectant prayer. We've been joining with the U.S. Alliance family and participating in 40 days of prayer. And then here at First Alliance on Monday nights during Vertical, we've been leaning into Steve Seaman's video teaching series on Follow the Healer. It is not too late to join us. We've had a great crowd and a great time. It's tomorrow night at 645 Uh, right here in the sanctuary. Um, We are so privileged today to hear from David Thomas as he brings the word this morning. David and his wife Karen and their three now young adult children have been a vital part of our church family here for over a decade. David has a great passion for prayer, as you're about to hear, and for people to walk and engage in a deeper life with Christ and for the local church. So let's prepare our hearts together. Would you pray with me? as we enter into this time. Holy Spirit, you are in the room. You are in our midst. We say thank you. Thank you for the gift of your presence. Would you open up the eyes of our hearts? Would you open up our ears and expand our mind to understand and hear what you've laid on your son David's heart to share with us this morning? Jesus, we invite you to help yourself to us. It's in your strong name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Jessica. Good morning, family. It's good to see you. I'm sure like you, I'm just so grateful that Paul leads our church every year to start the year with a focus on prayer. It's been such a great month, hasn't it? But on the 7th with Dan, on the 14th with Steve, last week with Paul. And it's the right way to begin. Because your life of prayer is the most important thing about you. It's that direct interaction with God. Your direct link with him. From that comes everything of any significance or really any ultimate meaning in your life. Your faith, your hope, your worldview, your your sense of wisdom and, and uh, dealing with your past, your hope for the future, everything of, of real, any, any ultimate meaning, it comes from your direct connection with God, which is prayer. And prayer is the most important thing you'll ever learn to do. It is something that we can learn. It was the only thing that the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them to do. It wasn't Wow, could you help us know how to tell parables like that? Or you are so good with kids. How do you do that? Or you're so able to just shut down your adversaries. How do you calm a storm? They could have asked him all kinds of things. Teach us to do that. No, the only thing, they were so amazed how he could just sort of be away at night. And they would just, where's the Lord? And they would, oh, yes, I'm sure he's at the Mount of Olives. Or they, he would, they would see him just kind of come back into their camp and around the, the Sea of Galilee and realize he'd been away up into the hills again. And he was coming back with that radiance and authority that he always did. They were so intrigued. Lord, teach us to pray. 
And one of the best ways of learning to pray is to look at the direct interactions between people and Jesus. In the Gospels, every time we see that, the words people use, their tone, their approach, Jesus' response, every time we see a direct interaction between people and Jesus in the Gospels, for us, that's a picture of prayer, including this interaction that we're going to look at today. I, I think this is one of the most stunning stories in all the Gospels. Some of the hardest things that we ever hear Jesus say. A Canaanite woman is just coming to get help for her demonized daughter, and little did she know that she was stepping onto a wrestling mat, a boot camp of faith. For us, a boxing ring of prayer, a training gym of intercession. Just like a year ago today, we had no idea that 10 days later, we were just that close from stepping into 16 glorious days and nights of an outpouring of God's presence at Asbury University. We had no idea at this point. We had, we had not a clue that a few students would linger after chapel on that February the 8th, and they were actually serving as the forerunners of an historic move of God. The holiest and most extraordinary experience of my life. Hughes Auditorium for that two and a half weeks, weeks became a throne room. It was a room in which there really was no detectable line between earth and heaven. So many times I would step out of the room and hear Jesus whisper to me, you know, David, you American Christians, I, all of your energy and ideas, all your production and buildings and resources, I, I, I respect how hard you work. You know, I've done about all I could with that. David, I want you to look in Hughes and just see what I can do when you give me the room. Jesus had that room. He could literally do anything he wanted. Calm, clean, full of holy love, no tech, simple, unexplainable, no celebrities, just what oversold church hurt Gen Z needed, an outpouring of God's presence. You all know that the altar never stopped all day and night. People were just coming. People would be waiting in line for six, eight hours. And as soon as they'd walk in the door, they didn't want to sit. They wanted to go straight up to the front, to the place of encounter. There was one day I was behind the altar just praying with people. And a woman, a young woman came forward. She was from India. And her face was wet with tears. And she came and knelt in front of me. And this is what she said. I have met him. And he is beautiful. I'm Hindu. He is beautiful. Oh, I know. He is so beautiful. And you would love to know him. Is there anything you would want to repent of? She put her hands up. Everything. All of me. So we prayed together. She received the Lord. And there had been no preaching. And no invitation. I've come to believe that the thing we need more than anything right now is the fullness of the presence of Jesus. Oh, to look into the faces of reconstruction, to see the eyes of these young men and women. Sociologists have written them off as the generation of anxiety, depression, and death. I watched them become a generation of wholeness and fullness and life. We just have come to believe Jesus wants to come and rescue this generation. We've seen it. We're still learning from it. We're still trying to understand it. But one thing that we have known from the beginning, everything that happened in Hughes Auditorium a year ago was the fruit of prayer. 
And if that is what God does when we pray, I have never been so motivated to pray. Day after day, people were coming in from Norway or Nevada or Alabama or Argentina, and, they would, and I would meet them and say, oh my goodness, thank you so much for making it all the way here to little Kentucky. And they would say, thank you. No, no, thank you. We had to get here. We had to lay eyes on what we've been praying for all of these years. The whole thing really belonged to the altars and the secret hidden closets of prayer all over this world. We have no, we'll never know what shower of intercession we were living under in those days all across the world. Ever since, I believe, all over the world, the water level of prayer has been rising. We've seen that here at First Alliance. Every time I see Paul kneel here before he preaches, every time I watch us linger here in between services, the way in which vertical has been on the rise, and in our hearts and homes and churches and campuses and cities all around, This cultural moment is bringing all of us to a recognition that we are all beyond what we can fix. Human excellence is too small a thing. We are the best resourced Christians who have ever lived, and look where we find ourselves. We're going to have to have something from the hand of God, and that will come as a result of prayer. Now, any prayer is better than no prayer, but I believe we're all coming to a point, and I think we're there now, where we know we need to become more serious about our prayer. Nothing of the greater work of God that we really need changes until that happens. So I'm wondering, if you would open your eyes and ears, if you would open your hearts to hear the word of God this morning, suited up to step into the ring. Jesus is in the very heat of his ministry, the busy, full-on action of his ministry in the region of Galilee. He's fed the 5,000. He's been healing people, the throngs of people. He's just coming away from a confrontation with the Pharisees who made their way all the way from Jerusalem and tracked him down to try to trick him. And he's going to soon be making his way to the city for his final days. So he stops here in Tyre and Sidon, two towns referred to together, usually designating the pagan area of northwest Palestine. Think Minneapolis-St. Paul, Dallas-Fort Worth, Tyre and Sidon. This was the only time in his life that Jesus stepped outside of Jewish territory. It's kind of his only international travel. And Mark provides the detail in his account of this story that Jesus entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Okay? So he's come out of a very intense season. He knows what he's facing, so he's taking a break catching his breath, does not want anyone to find him when this happens. This is Matthew 15, if you want to follow along. Matthew 15, beginning at verse 21. Matthew 15, 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. For she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, 
help me. She said, he replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. And this is the word of God, and we believe it. Amen. Let's bow our hearts together. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear, and let it be a sweet sound in your ear. Amen. Yeah, this is, I think, one of the most stunning encounters with Jesus. And let's remember, we're looking at it to get a picture of prayer. Anytime we see interactions, it's like, okay, for us, that's prayer. Some of the hardest things Jesus ever said. Let's work our way through this interaction. I don't know if you, ever, if you remember the name Michaela Salahi. She was a cast member on a reality show back in the early 2000s called The Real Housewives of D.C. Well, back in 2009, Michaela and her husband Tarek were able to get past security and crash a White House state dinner where the Obamas were hosting the Prime Minister of India. Now, there was no security around Jesus, but it was still very daring of this woman to make her way to Jesus. He was trying to stay hidden. But a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. She gets backstage. She, she interrupts Jesus. She's not afraid to impose, to be an inconvenience. And for one simple reason, her heart is broken over the unbearable condition of this daughter that she loves. So she cries out to Jesus, and nothing could have kept her away because prayer is the language of the hurting heart. Steve said this two weeks ago, nothing happens in the kingdom of God until someone hurts. It's amazing to me just how important our emotions are in prayer. It's got to touch us. It's got to wound us, to pain us. We have to feel it. Healthy emotion is where our compassion comes from. It's where we can begin to offer empathy. Not to stereotype here, but I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if this is an area that we men sometimes need to grow. Maybe our feelings were not welcomed growing up. It's just not what a man does. Or maybe being more on the stoic side, it's just not our constitution. And women can be the same. But we don't want to just be defined by our feelings. We want to grow to master them, but we've got to feel them. We've got to let it touch us. Sometimes the situations around us have just gone on so long. Ah, that's just my cousin. My wife's just that way. Every family's got their black sheep. He'll never change. We just sort of shut down any real feeling toward a hope in it. Fatigued by media overload. Calloused by disappointments. Our heart can grow numb. But not this mom. My daughter is suffering terribly. She's a woman. She's a pagan. She has no claims. She has no rights of access. But she is daring. 
She will get there. Her heart, hurting heart is driving her there. And Jesus does not turn her away. Because when it comes to the language of the hurting heart, Jesus welcomes the daring. Take that into your life of prayer this morning. Jesus welcomes the daring. He receives the courageous and the desperate in prayer. He does not turn away the messy, troubled risk takers in prayer. Psalm 142 says, I pour out my complaint before him. Before him, I tell him my trouble. This mother makes an approach frantically expectant that Jesus is going to help me. I'm going to get to him. I know he can help me. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it. Expectant, she taught in Mark's gospel. So we can go on. We can be daring. We can ask. But at first, Jesus' response is shocking. Jesus did not answer a word. Crickets. Nothing. Nada. Seems so uncaring. So detached. Silence. We can assume that she turns to the disciples. Will you guys talk to him? Because they come over and press on him. Rabbi, please, please. She's just bugging us. She's such a nuisance. Do something. Just send her on. Give her what she wants. Send her away. She's, she keeps crying out after us. And he ignores them too. He doesn't do it. I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Ooh, which is a hard word. Sounds like Jesus is showing favoritism. Is this prejudice? Only the Jews receive his ministry? Which is why we always interpret any particular portion of the Bible through the lens of the whole of the word of God. Because yes, Jesus came to be the Jewish Messiah. But we know that from, that from Abraham being blessed to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. To the first worshipers of Jesus being magi from pagan Persia. To the vision of Peter in ministry to the Roman officer Cornelius. To Paul's calling to the Gentiles. To the end when all the nations will surround the throne. And Jesus here saying these things outside the bounds of Hebrew land. In Tyre and Sidon. God has no favorites. Now we know that's what, we know that's the case. From the whole of scripture, that's the revelation of his nature. We know that, that, that can't be what's going on here. And Jesus can't be speaking flippantly. He, he never made throwaway comments. I don't do anything except what my father tells me to do. Everything about Jesus was fulfillment and revelation. So what are we to make of this? Jesus did not answer a word. Because when prayer gets tough... When things don't change, when there's just silence, we think, well, I guess answered prayer is just not for me. It must be for some other people. Maybe God's mad at me. Maybe I don't qualify. Maybe, maybe something's wrong. Maybe I've just messed up too much. We just begin and we can just get disappointed and quit, which is a mistake because silence in prayer is not God's absence. Silence is a part of the answer. So much is intended. So much is happening in the delay. Silence, listen, silence is your invitation. Some of the most significant growth of my life, some of the most important self-discovery of my life has been from the strain of praying into God's silence. Delay in prayer is when God sifts us. It's when God grows us. It's when God handles us. If we don't leave the ring, 
Silence on the other end of prayer is when God is revealing our blind spots. The need for God, the heart cry for God is like an auger drilling down to unearth our motives and press up our infirmities. I have been in these last few months, I've been in a period, these last several months where I've been feeling searched and exposed by God in prayer. Ever since the outpouring, really, bringing me to deeper self-awareness and repentance and healing and transformation, more than I think I've ever known in my life, all from the strain of delay in prayer. Silence reminds us that prayer is not a genie. Just make some wishes. Prayer reminds us that prayer is not, I mean, silence reminds us that God, that prayer is not a vending machine. Put in a prayer and get out what we ask for. Silence and delay remind us of God. Of the conditions for being heard and answered. Psalm 66 says, if, we, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And sometimes we can't see that until he's quiet. We just don't go looking for it. Why isn't he coming to me? What's going on? Why? So when he doesn't answer, that is not the time to hang up. Instead, Jesus, I know that you're hearing me. I know that you mean me good. I know, so show me, is there something in the way? Is there something you need to do in me? Something you need to give me? Something you need to take away? Something I need to do? Something you want to heal or change in me? In those first several days of the outpouring, repentance was just about the only thing we could do. It just went on for days. We could not do it enough. We loved rebuke because we wanted to remove any obstruction to more of his presence. It was the kindness of the Lord leading to repentance. This woman wanted her daughter to be healed, and we can be confident. Jesus wanted that too, but he was also revealing himself and teaching his disciples and growing this mom's faith. And for all of those All of you who will stay in the ring of prayer when silence and delay tempt you to quit, you can be sure Jesus is wanting to do more than you ask or expect. So she dares to ask for his help. She appeals to his friends. She will not be held back. Then this mom humbles down even lower. Matthew says that this woman came and knelt in front of him and says, Lord, help me. I don't know about you. I have never knelt in front of any human being except Karen when I proposed marriage to her. But to kneel in front of Jesus. She was a Canaanite, Syrophoenician woman, Mark says, not sure what she believed about Jesus, but she knelt. Three words, Lord, help me. I got a call a week before last from a friend at, at Centenary, the church where I used to pastor. And it's a guy that I was in a men's group with for nine years. Love this guy. Good friend. Son in his early 20s. Wonderful kid. I remember him in our children's ministry. Great dad. Terrific family. But this son had made some bad decisions and it had gotten him into trouble. He ended up doing some, uh, being in prison for a time, making it hard now to get a job. He was depressed, living at home, some violent outbursts, kind of out of control. So this man, this friend called me, David, I am at my end. I just feel like my back is against the wall. David, would you, would you just pray with me? So humbled, so crushed by life, like this woman, Lord, help me. On the second day of the outpouring, A sophomore guy 
at Asbury approached me. His face was just all wet with tears. First thing he said, like every young man I prayed with in those 16 days, I'm addicted to porn. I can't even talk to a girl. I feel so ashamed before God. This is just ruining me. So we prayed together for a deliverance that these chains of addiction would fall off of him. Last fall, about six months later, that young man tracked me down. I did not remember his name. Um, I hadn't seen him in those six months. Didn't really know him, but he wanted to meet. We met for coffee. He said, I had to see you, David. I just had for you to know I have not looked at porn in six months. I don't even want to see it anymore. David, God did it. I've never been this close to Jesus. That young man, that 19-year-old, had the humility to step into the ring, to come up, to let the humbling and crushing of his life bring him to his knees, to get him in close to Jesus, which is always what Jesus is after. This pressing, this crushing, Jesus is drawing you close to him, to that really direct connection to him, the deepest closeness with him, because he knows that's when life works. He can't be moderately important. Halfway, Christianity doesn't work. It never has. He came to give us life in its fullness, free of porn, liberated from all that entangles us, and he's got to get us in that close to get that done. Humbling and pressing and crushing is the only approach. There on her knees in deepest humility, then something absolutely staggering happens. Jesus says, and again, this feels like a really hard word. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Oh my goodness. It seems so uncaring. But now listen to what she says. It is right, Lord. It is. I disagree with you, Jesus. When do you ever remember any other time in the Gospels where someone just, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table? This woman pushes back. She protests. Like we read a minute ago, like Jacob wrestling. That was read. Lord, I will not let you go without the blessing. And Jacob was renamed Israel, which means literally one who wrestles and prevails with God. Y'all, this is the namesake of the people of God. This is our identity. This is who we are, those who wrestle and contend and press in and get that close. Scholars have observed how this was the actual generator of the nation of Israel, how grappling with God, voicing our protest, was the expression of hope, of honest faith, all possibility depended on. I will not let you go, Father. Uh, that we give God no rest, Isaiah 62. That we cling to God like a belt clings to a person's waist, Jeremiah 13. Paul commended Epaphras to the Colossians as always wrestling in prayer for you. Listen, pushback in prayer is not irreverence. It's what active hope and honest faith can sound like. Praying for the healing of his dear friend, Philip Melanchthon, 
Martin Luther wrote, I attacked the Almighty with his own weapons, quoting from Scripture all the promises I could remember that prayer should be granted. And I said that he must grant my prayer if I was henceforth to put faith in his promises. The Puritan pastor Richard Sibbs preached, prayer is a kind of wrestling and contending with God, a binding of him with arguments and promises of his own. Jonathan Edwards, voice of the first great awakening in America, said, This is the employment that Christians must spend their lives in, wrestling with God in seeking of him and wrestling with their enemies in resisting them. The life of a godly man or woman is a life full of conflicts. Charles Finney, key leader of the Second Great Awakening, wrote, I felt so certain that he would hear me and that faithfulness to his promises and to himself rendered it impossible that he should not hear and answer that frequently I found myself saying to him, I hope thou dost not think that I can be denied. I come with thy faithful promises in my hand, and I cannot be denied. Y'all, listen, pushback in prayer is what faith can sound like sometimes. That's what happens here. It's almost like Jesus takes this woman's hand and thrusts it up in the air. He says, she won. She's the victor. Look at her faith. Woman, you have great faith. Imagine being told that by Jesus. You have great faith. You win. You have it. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very moment. Matthew must have confirmed it. Her daughter was healed from that very moment. This is what the, the, the prayer of faith can sometimes look like. Bruised, sweaty, bleeding, exhausted from the struggle. Over to the corner to spit and drink and receive a pep talk and a shoulder up to go back in for another round. First alliance. Jesus is calling up the contender in you to grow as she did. Look at how she grew from Lord have mercy to Jesus. I disagree. The strength and grit and faith and tenacity and courage and perseverance in prayer. That's what Jesus was after. Like we see in this woman. Now, we can't control the thoughts and decisions of the people we love, but we can push back the darkness in prayer. And it's going to take this kind of fighting prayer life to do what we're called. Dark and demonic influence can be shattered in prayer as it was in this daughter, even at a distance. And I really believe more and more, this is what the Christian life looks like. Contending is more and more standard parenting. All our best skills as parents There's just not enough against the smartphone and against what's going on. We need supernatural parenting, not super parents, not super people, but just this kind of this cultural moment is sifting us. Gen Z is shaking the church is Jesus is needing us in the ring to get trained up and get in the fight. We need some tough as nails women like this mother. We need some warrior dads. We need some grandparents who said, no, no long. So long as there's breath in these lungs, I'm going to be contending for that grandchild of mine. We need some young men and women. We need some high school and college students who won't stand by as friends lose their lives to porn and anxiety and depression. When they fall in the ring, we can hear, tap me. I'll contend. I'll get in the ring for you until you can get back up. Jesus is calling up the contender in you, the contender. And there comes a point when every one of us realizes I've got to become more serious about my life of prayer. It is the most important thing about you. And it's time to get more after it. This isn't unusual. Don't think of this. Ooh, that's just a lot. That's ooh, no, no. This is just biblical prayer. This is the prayer of the majority world today, all over Latin America, Asia, Africa, wherever the church is advancing. This is how Christians pray. 
This is where this is the way Christians have prayed all over all through all of time. Whenever the church has been on the advance, Jesus doesn't just tolerate pushback. He's looking for it. He's looking for rugged intercessors in your home, in your church, your job, your friend group, your campus, your city. Contending in prayer is no formula. It's not just, oh, I get rough and rough, tough and loud. I want to get it. No, this isn't a recipe. This is no guarantee of success. But shrinking back and stepping away from the ring of prayer struggle is a guarantee of failure. So I ask you, is there anybody here who will get in the ring? It's the end of the series, the beginning of the year. You got a lot of 24. What are you going to do? Yeah, maybe I just think, oh, I don't know. Don't pray that way. It's not. Well, would you make a move to say, but I am willing to grow in it. I'm willing to step into it. I'm willing to, I want my life of prayer to grow. It's just got to. Is there anyone here who would say, I'll be more daring? Is there anyone here that, they would, that would steward your suffering? Not just try to rush out of it, but let it create a dialect of prayer in you, bringing you closer into that Gethsemane love Jesus model for us, wrestling for the blessing, like this woman daring for it. It's simply that invitation as we close today. Anyone here, I would just invite you to make a move. Come on up here, just mark it. Here at the close of the series, say, yeah, this year I'm moving in it. I'm gonna step in. All right, let me offer a prayer as we close. Jesus, I just ask right now that you meet every person where they are. Your word, let it just meet us where we are. Some of us, curious, some of us not sure, some of us stirred and ready, some of us maybe in between somewhere, but Lord, meet us where we are and help us, Lord. I just thank you, Jesus, that you're kind of inviting, just like you kept with this woman. You never sent her away. You never rejected her. You kept calling up that that fight in her. Lord, I just feel like maybe you're doing that in this room, just calling wherever we are. You're calling us in. And I just pray now that you would just pour out a gift of faith. Pour out faith in us, Lord. Pour out faith to just step towards you. Step into the battle. When we fight in prayer, we're not fighting against you. We're fighting with you for the things you want to do. Help us, Lord, to, to take that on, to enter into the yoke with you and see you prevail. Yes, Lord, thank you for calling us. We say yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Here at First Alliance Church, our mission is to passionately pursue God, extend life-changing hope, and disciple people to be spirit-empowered followers of Jesus. To learn more about our church or to hear other sermons like this one, visit us at facleax.com.